When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Let's begin. So a number of people I actually saw in our Patreon asked about Andrew Tate, if we would speak about him. I don't know. Have you seen him at all? No. So I'm going to add a lot. You're going to add a <laughs> tremendous amount. So he's on... Strong name. I, I've only watched uh, a handful of TikToks, which I don't recall, but what I did watch the other day was him speaking to a Twitch streamer named XQC about a number of things. And he's gotten big on a lot of these video platforms. His strategy, I don't know how well known it is, is that he sells access to like his course, which is how to make money. And then one of the ways that he tells you that you should make money is by affiliating for this course. Mm. So then you go out and he doesn't copyright claim any videos that you make about him. So I don't know what the percentage is, but a tremendous amount of the views with him in them, like he's on a podcast, are re-syndicated, re-clipped by other people on other channels they can collect any ad revenue that comes of it, and his benefit is to his brand. Yeah, it's like an MLM. It's super MLM. It's super duper MLM. Um, and yeah, it, so, so that has enabled him to go from small to big. Also, he's got, uh, he's a successful, I think, Thai boxer, like kickboxing, as well as he made money from doing cams over in Europe. Like he would have a cam girl house and, and not even just a ah, house. I thought you meant he would do cams. No, like he no. would just jerk <laughs> off on camera. I was like, oh, interesting. He's a fighter, an entrepreneur, and he has an OnlyFans. Interesting. And uh, and he's got some, you know, like red pill style stuff that he talks about. Uh, and he's also got a very interesting background, uh, like having lived abroad and he's half, half something and half something else. I don't even know. But anyway, so I watched this one thing people asked me couple of the points that I thought were most What is the question? They wanted you to watch this particular what interview? What do I think of him? He's exploded onto the scene, has done really well. So first off, the MLM nature of his, how he's promoted himself is very smart. Just like make a bunch of speaking into the camera content. I think what he also does is he is comfortable making statements. For instance, this is what they discuss in this thing is uh, women shouldn't be able to drive. They're bad drivers. He's comfortable making statements like that. When what he means, it, if interrogated, is most of the women, most of the issues that I've seen with accidents in my life have been caused by women, is actually what he's saying. And I don't, I'm not interested in checking out insurance numbers or car crash statistics. But it's just also, my personal experience. And also, this is what men say to each other when they're hanging out. They complain about women and any number of things. But does he mean it in the sense that if he were in charge of legislating for his country he would ban women from driving or he just speaks facetiously because he knows that the hot take will get attention i don't know but i think it probably goes hot take by hot take uh with whether he like believes it a lot but i think because you know sometimes people will say things that they don't mean just because they know mm -hmm. it's spicy yeah it's unclear and if you know if if i were to speak to him which i don't i'm not anti or pro uh that would be a question. It's like, do you do you mean this in the sense mm -hmm. that uh, this these are 
words that you'd like to see enacted with force behind them. Women should not be able to drive in the same way that when somebody says we should defund the police, they mean like take the budget from the police away from the well, police department. That's not true, actually. Different so, people. Different people mean different di- things. Seriously, different people. Fair enough. You could take 10 people who have a sign that says defund the police. Yeah. And one of them goes, I obviously don't mean to remove all funding from the police. I mean to add body cams, but fund them less in other ways. Mm-hmm. And then someone else goes, yeah, I think we should just give zero budget to the police and have lawless civilization. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, okay, you guys have the same catchphrase, but you mean very different things. I, I chose a poor example. <laughs> <laughs> I, I realized that as soon as it came out. Of Got it. Up. So I don't know exactly what he believes behind, but he is, there's a combination. He's not clear though. He's never been like, I'm just joking for attention. He's, I don't know what he's ever said. I watched one two hour discussion with him. But what he did talk about in this is he says, I do not do internet talk in the internet one of the things you and i speak very differently here than we do as soon as this ends outside and the understanding is that you have to communicate to an audience Mm -hmm. when i'm speaking to you there's a shared set of understandings and values that i can say heinous stuff and you understand that i don't mean it yeah i swear way more off the podcast Uh, well, not even just heinous. I can make dark jokes or whatever that you understand don't reflect deep values or beliefs of mine. Th- yes, that if I'm I were not, to make to people that have never met me before, would not would reasonably not know what I meant. It could be viewed as this confident thing, but it's also just kind of shirking a responsibility that I'm sure he adopts every day in his life where when he speaks to a grandma or a four-year-old or his buddy, he does adjust for his audience. Maybe he's just fucking crazy when he's talking to a four-year-old or his grandma. I'm sure he's not. <laughs> I'm sure everybody adjusts for their audience. He speaks multiple languages. When he speaks for one audience, he does not speak in a language they don't understand. Mm-hmm. So it does seem a bit like an arbitrary line. And I get it. At some point, you have to go, I cannot possibly cater to every special interest group as I speak here or else it slows my communication down so much. Yeah. But uh, there is a little bit of bravado in that I won't adjust my speech. It's like, well, you're speaking English. <laughs> you could be speaking a different language. Like there is, there is some attempt that you make to be understood, but he yeah. draws a line at, I won't speak to you in a way that I wouldn't speak comfortably. To well, a group I, don't, of I don't know what he says. So I, I won't talk about Andrew Tate, but I will say I could imagine someone where what the penalty is for that is simply that they increase their risk of being quote unquote canceled mm-hmm. and they're willing to burden that. And that seems fine to me. If, you, if you're like, oh, I'm going to say, like, Andrew Schultz, I'm going to say dark jokes. I'm not going to uh, let my, my humor, my comedy change because I see other comedians get canceled. And the result of that is Schultz just takes more heat from people. You know what I mean? But he's not hurting people because he's not educational. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's fine and great if, you're, yeah, yeah. if you want to take the risk on yourself. I don't know what he's saying or teaching, but... This was the first part of their conversation is you said women should not be able to drive. And then, you know, they discuss, well, what I was saying is that every time I've seen an accident or if there's a woman driver, I panic more than if it's a man driver because I, that's my experience and you can't tell me that my experience isn't true. And when the guy brings well, up insurance rates or studies, he says, you believe internet studies more than your own eyes, which is I was just, at some point, like, you I don't- should to some extent. I don't know the U.S. exists by my own eyes. I've never been to every state. I have to trust that Idaho is out there because <laughs> it, it might not be. I've not confirmed it. Uh, of course, I also don't, to be clear, I don't know that heroin is addicting. I don't know that smoking causes cancer. I don't know a lot of that. I don't know that drunk driving impairs your ability to drive well. I've never personally experienced heroin, lung cancer, or drunk driving. So I, I have to take some experiences at their spoken 
value or else I have to try everything before I can say if something is true or not. Mm-hmm. Well, this was, this was the first point that perhaps just wasn't well uh, explored is that I've been on this podcast talking about how I don't believe everything that I've seen on the internet, but there's, I, I could make it explicit. There's some sort of algorithm I have in my head, which is like, what's the incentive structure here to lie? Uh, you know, how much money stands to be made by that person with that incentive structure? Is this a political issue that there's people are trying to muddy the waters versus do I believe that if I Google insurance rates across men and women, that it's probably going to be reflective of the average rates that people in America pay? And if I Google statistics of car accidents caused by men or women, that it's going to roughly reflect yeah, yeah. the actual truth of it. I, I, for those two, I tend to believe that I can trust a cursory search on Google and well, yeah, I mean, he, he and I can just disagree here. That's how I handled COVID. I looked up deaths by age and mm-hmm. fitness levels and all that. And that's, and I placed myself on a chart of data that mm-hmm. I didn't go out and get myself. So that's how I decided that COVID was probably relatively low risk for me. Mm-hmm. I guess he, his metric or his system would be to assume you know nothing about it until you see people get COVID around you. And then if they have bad cases, be very scared of COVID. Well, that was, he briefly mentioned COVID, which was, you know, we all stayed inside and we didn't even see any sick people, which might just be, again, shorthand speaking, I don't want to take him in bad faith, but as the sick people were inside or in the hospital, of course, you didn't see them outside. Well, but the flip would be if I happen to have three friends that got it bad, I should yeah. be terrified of it, uh-huh. is, that, is what this system for making decisions would say. Yes. And if I see you go to the hospital for three weeks, mm-hmm. I have to, I should ignore all the data and go, COVID is extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. If I get it, I'm likely to go to the hospital for three weeks because yeah. that's my, that's my personal with my eyes take on the one case of COVID I saw. Mm-hmm. And of course, I think, I think he would agree that one has to blend their firsthand experience with hearsay from the news, internet, other people in order to form a view of the world that is effective. Yeah, and, <laughs> and all sources of information aren't created equal. Mm-hmm. So in any event, uh, that, that might be something that would not be a big issue. But the one thing that I thought was interesting that we probably would disagree on was he had made a statement that they started to unpack, which is if a girl that I was seeing, my girl, did uh, OnlyFans, I would take 100% of the proceeds because I believe that I'm entitled, you know, this is supposed to be a private relationship by its nature. And if she wants to share that, that's her prerogative, but I'm going to benefit from it because this is supposed to be benefiting me. So I'll take 100% of the income. He then discussed, he's like, well, this would basically never happen. So I'm giving you a hypothetical situation that Mm -hmm. never would occur. But if it did occur, this is what would happen. And one of the reasons he said was that women need to respect the men that they're with. And if I didn't take the money, she would not respect me. And as I watched that, I I, uh, thought of prior relationships I had where I had that worldview, which was I might not do this thing, but if I don't, I will lose her respect. Mm. Therefore, I have to manage her perception of how much she respects me and be whatever, alpha, take the, the OnlyFans money, make these aggrandizing statements, be, puff my chest out in ways that I go crazy, boy. <laughs> uh, puff my chest out in ways that I probably wouldn't otherwise in order to maintain this relationship. And I actually, in, a, in that moment, felt bad for him because I have, I don't know if you felt this. Uh, did, you, did we ever talk about this when, when I was sort of feeling this way with a previous girlfriend? No? I don't know. Uh, we might not have. Yeah, the, just this, this experience of... Uh, 
there's truth in that women are with men that they respect, and there is truth in if, if a woman doesn't respect you at all that she probably won't want to be with you for a yep. very long time. But this idea of constantly having to maintain respect by, like, planning yeah. or, and by uh, being alpha or whatever, however you want to describe it, is it's a, it's a bummer of a way to live. Well, this is a... And, and again, he's even saying that he would not date... His actual standard is I wouldn't date someone who had OnlyFans. Mm-hmm. So it's weird that he wouldn't just say, if I found out that my girl, quote unquote, had an OnlyFans, I'd break up with her, which is his actual feeling. Not- it's, it's, I think it's to have the controversial hot take is why, yeah. is why it's performed that way. Yes. But- which is funny. Like he, it sounds like he wouldn't take all the money. He would just say, I don't want to be with you because you're selling your naked photos and <laughs> I don't yeah. want to be with someone who does that. So mm-hmm. find someone who doesn't mind it. And then the person who doesn't mind it won't take the money because they don't mind it so in their mind it doesn't cost them respect yeah that's that's the truth of it the hot take sounds like a hypothetical that's just something you said for funsies yes yes which is a like if you were attacked by a thousand first graders with knives (laughs) i'd kill every one of them it's like yeah but (laughs) that's that's uh not gonna happen in the first place so well i like those hypotheticals i enjoy them they're fun yeah i do it does it is an interesting Stepping back from that specific, it is interesting to hear the idea of I would take 100% because, not because I think that's fair or not fair or whatever, not but because of the respect, mm-hmm. because I need a certain level of respect for her to like me. It's something I'm noticing. I've been tuning in more to different relationships. People will put the relationship above their own happiness, mm-hmm. which might make sense when you're three kids in and you've been married for 15 years and you've had a unhappy month but i see it happening early very early in relationships that people go i'm gonna put this relationship lasting over just me being happy Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what he's describing is i would do this thing that i not that i want to but that i would do so that she would keep liking me so that we could keep dating it's like what again why not just break up so that you can just go be with someone where you're not constantly managing respect levels just find someone that's easier to be happy with yeah and I, and I think he would say that I, he's no happy. that's not for him that's, I know that's, that's, that's that. not an Andrew Tate thing that's yeah. I, again I've not watched a single thing that's something I just see in a lot of people mm-hmm. yes uh I yeah I I felt that at various times and would have would have yes yeah, identified as being happy while I was having to I didn't even realize the amount of behaviors that were to make sure that I stayed at the top of her list in, in this yeah. safe way and that this relationship. Well, yeah, I think it's because people, I think there's like an, a lack that people feel that they get a comfort from a partner and they, they stop tracking their minute to minute. Like, am I enjoying mm-hmm. being with this yeah, yeah. person? Or is this person causing stress or whatever? I think a lot of people, and I'm learning that my, myself included, uh, have learned to cut, this is, this is actually one of the things I want to talk about. So I was watching a, I want to come back to Andrew Tate, but uh, this the other topic that I have is I was watching a Teal Swan video, um, who I, I enjoy watching. And even though she's a cult leader? Even though she's a cult leader. <laughs> she was talking about shame, and her, her statement is, shame is not an emotion. Shame is a biological reaction like fight or flight, mm-hmm. and it is a response to recognizing that a part of ourselves is going to distance us from people that are important to our survival. So it happens primarily in childhood, and it's, you know, can be like you're running around naked and mom and dad said, go inside. So you, you develop shame over your body. 
or you hit your sister and they say, you're a bad boy, don't be like that. And you develop shame with regards to your frustration and anger and capacity for that. Mm. Uh, and that it's this biological reaction like fight or flight that is not an emotion. Emotions can rise around it. Um, and its primary purpose is to first split off the parts of yourself that are not well received mm. by people around you in order to make you fit in. So tying that back in, the point that you made is that I think shame, which is experienced by all of us early in the socialization process, cuts us off from the part of ourselves that is not happy in the relationship. Mm. Like we're so conditioned to be like, yeah, yeah, whatever, like, oh, I'm, I must be bad when, uh, if I'm frustrated by this person mm -hmm. or if I don't want to be with them or, you know, if, yeah, I, if this person is unhappy, I <laughs> failed in my half of the relationship. Yes. Instead of this person's unhappy, we're fighting, I'm unhappy. Mm -hmm. We should just decouple. Yes, yes, which is what children cannot do. They're like, right, right. I get angry sometimes, lady. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> sometimes I got to slap my sister in the head. <laughs> no, like uh, that, that, that is, you cannot You decouple. can't decouple from your parents. And so that learned behavior, especially as it, uh, it tends to, I think, stick to certain experiences and certain emotions. So like you're less likely to feel shame if you weren't shamed about your body. And then somebody later in your life calls you fat. You're like, it just doesn't hit in the same way that if I that if I needed to fit in for whatever other reason, that if I needed to be proper or have good manners or something like that, that I'm going to be highly sensitive to. But also, I'm not going to detect when somebody is being like unkind about my manners because mm -hmm. I'm so used to being like, you're right, you're right. Um, it's probably not just parents because I think for myself, I don't, I wasn't shamed by my parents for being nerdy, mm -hmm. but at an early age in my school, I was. Mm -hmm. There's like violent consequences for being nerdy. Mm -hmm. And I think that, can be just as impactful depending sure. on how old you sure. are. Sure. Well, I think it's I think it's basically anything before the age of six or seven is is uh, your brain just ain't there. <laughs> it's just you like have this need to fit in and yeah. this inability to. I'd up that age, but maybe I'm wrong. Oh, of course. It look it happens for the rest of your life. You can have an experience at age twenty five or thirty five that that sticks with you. Um, but I think that it's it's almost baked in, guaranteed before seven because you do not have the mental capacity to be like. That's their problem. <laughs> uh, it just doesn't. It just doesn't exist. Um, so anyway, back to Andrew Tate. One of the other things that I thought was interesting that was implicit. He's like in his relationships, traditional tradcon is like I'm the man. I am 35. I am successful, high achievement. I take responsibility over this relationship, and therefore I have a level of authority. And I say what does and doesn't happen. She is, and even in the examples he was given, like maybe she's 18. You know, she's like young, uh, probably beautiful, naive, and wants to partner with me. And this is the way that it has happened through all of human history. It's, it's, it's in our firmware, and this is how it's supposed to be. And I think that, while I grant that that's what I think a lot of relationships have been throughout history and is reflective of uh, evolutionary structures in our psyche, I, I am trying to get past that belief in myself because for a long time I mean I think all of myself and my friends had this habit of like being the mentor in the relationship mm -hmm. like being the one that was farther ahead yeah, and older would, more successful financially yeah. done more personal development work and it was deeply satisfying to me and the other people to like teach and we like all really were attracted at well not all but I I've I'd like liked to like work with women and teach them and like take them to my personal development places and try to get them to be entrepreneurs um it felt it was like a very familiar comfortable role for me mm -hmm. uh and I'm when I heard him speak I was like man like uh again seeing into myself is you can't imagine like having a partner 
like someone who you did not have to take responsibility for because we do not live with saber-toothed tigers chasing us anymore. Like all this this horrible danger of the world does not actually match my experience. It's uh, living in Malibu. It ain't that threatening. Well, can't imagine or just doesn't prefer? Because I think if you, t- I don't know how old Andrew Tate is, but if you said, okay, you have the option, <laughs> beautiful 19-year-old, mm-hmm. she follows your lead, gives you all the responsibility. If things go wrong, it's your fault. If things go well, you get the credit. Doesn't teach you anything. You're the mentor. Mm-hmm. Or someone one year younger than you, just as financially successful, is right as often as you are. Mm-hmm. You're wrong as often as she is when you guys have disagreements. He might say, I can't imagine that. I don't want that. I prefer. I think you're right. <laughs> and and so would I have uh, up until recently when i realized it's like this sure is- sure i'm just saying i yeah, don't know yeah. that it's can't imagine i think it's imagines and goes no i don't want that that i have to apologize for being yeah, wrong yeah. some of the time that i don't have all of the authority or power we're more of a democratic partnership of two mm-hmm. yeah that might be incredibly unappealing to him not necessarily impossible to imagine yes that's fair point um and yeah again saw saw elements of myself in that and it, that's how i felt which was like I know that I like I'm not I don't think I'm the most brilliant person on the planet or the most successful or I know everything about life but I'm just not drawn to uh women that would be uh, reciprocals not reciprocals reciprocals one over uh mirrors in some mm-hmm. way of that. Well truth is I have no idea. I mean in terms of judging from your own experience or looking at the data I am not old enough to have seen hundreds of relationships last 70 years. I don't know when, if your goal is a marriage that lasts a lifetime or a partnership that lasts a lifetime and you're saying, oh, I'm going to meet this person between 25 and 35 and we're going to go until I die at a hundred. What relationship makes it 65 years? Is it the one where you are a partnership? They look exactly like your best friend, all your friends like them. You're basically just same different genders, but you know, largely like similar intellect, similar interests. Is it the one where you follow a more traditional relationship like the ones that historically existed. Like I, I actually don't know what lasts and I don't know that that's that what lasts is even what makes people happiest. So it's, it's, I actually don't feel like I have the authority to say whether that's a bad idea or a good idea or what one should look for if their goal is a life Mm -hmm. of happy partnership. Yeah. And I don't know that he's even telling other men what to do either. He's sort of describing himself and for that, you know, do what, do what you like. Yeah, yeah. I just can't say if you're, I can't say if he's right or wrong or you're right or wrong. I, well, all the relationships I look at have lasted somewhere between zero and on the high end, 13 years. Mm -hmm. And it is, (laughs) so they're about, they're about 60 years shy of lifelong. Well, this is a fun, this, this is when we talk about relationships, it lasting literally didn't occur to me. Well, that's what I'm saying. I also, I'm not saying lasting is happy either, Mm -hmm. but I also can't tell you which one is happier. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen, I don't, it's, it's not something I see thousands of data points for. Yeah, what, I, what I've recently come to, and again, might change or grow, is that um, happier is closer to it. Lasting is not. It's uh, life is huge and big, and I don't really, uh, as much as I like to pretend, like I don't know that much about it. Mm-hmm. Like I have a fuck ton of growth to do, and I want help. <laughs> and I want the people in my life to not be children. He even goes on to describe some of the relationships of like, you know, he's like, some men need a mommy. Like, they need a girl. Tell him, do this, do this, do this. He doesn't say it. What is the flip of that is, I'm these girls' daddy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, like, take care of them, protect them, tell them what life is about. And I 
increasingly don't want to be a daddy or have a mommy. Like I want to like a partner <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that uh, is is on the cutting edge of how to live and and grow with me. And and I don't expect to be equal to them. Like maybe I make more money or maybe they're yeah. more spiritually in tune. I don't know. I was going to say, I actually, I also don't know if once you are talking about having kids, I don't think a partner shares your same strengths necessarily. No, not, no, so, no, no. Because I've heard some people and we've talked about, oh, should your, should your life partner who's a woman look like your best friends in terms of same interest in personal development, can sit on the couch and yuck around with them all, like wants to play D&D or watch UFC or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I think what you don't want is two people that are, for instance, in your case, making great money as an entrepreneur, incredibly smart, very cerebral. Yeah. And then there's a kid and it's like, oh, who's going to nurture the kid when it's crying, Sick. Yeah. get up at 4 a.m. when it's inconvenient, you know, like do all the stuff that you don't, that you're not going to want to do. If you're with a mirror of yourself, I don't know that that's the best partnership. So I think looking for a partner and not a daughter makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. But then there's, it's like, what makes a partner? A partner might be someone that doesn't match you in success or IQ, but incredibly outpaces you on EQ and patience mm-hmm. or whatever. So yeah, I think that's... I agree, by the way. I, 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 I'm I not saying this for everybody, but I definitely sign up to that. You don't... Somebody with my IQ is great and fun. Uh, somebody who with a YouTube channel can help me with my YouTube channel. But it's like, I'll get there. <laughs> like, I have friends. That's kind of what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> like, cloning yourself, but switching the gender. I don't know that that makes the best partner for raising a family and so then what what makes a good partner might be hard to quantify or at least not look like what people are imagining when they hear you say i want mm-hmm. someone who's the same success level and not yeah, a, yeah. not someone i take care of it's like well maybe you do take care of them completely financially and maybe they are way more in tune with the kids emotional mm-hmm. needs or what much more willing to inconvenience themselves and be patient or whatever it might be that yeah. you are your weaknesses when it comes to parenting yeah this is not a uh, prescription but where, I, where i've i think landed as regards that is like i want a, both of us to have like uh, the gen ed classes which is like baseline level of you're responsible for your emotions you're responsible for your experience in this life you can cover you can pay for your finances like you, you can now we might elect down the line to not have that be the case but like you are a fully functioning independent human being mm-hmm. period and then above that is the specialization and like maybe i learn how to make a lot more money or you know you do probably not in in my case that's not my match but yeah that my match would have things that i'm not as good at which is uh intuition about things that are occurring in their body or like that capacity to take care of a kid and even when it's vomiting and crapping all over you and not just to do it but to show me how to feel the way that they feel in that situation Um, because I don't just want the task to get done I do feel like there's an entire like element of life and femininity that I just uh, I do want to integrate but I haven't Mm. like when I see sick people or creatures I move back I, I am not drawn towards, I feel, uh, yeah, I, I lack that, that in me. And I don't think that that's something I want to die with. Mm. <laughs> I think that's something that I need to, uh, learn and grow. And that's, that's what I would like, you know, a partner to, to teach me through their behavior. Um, but yeah, Andrew Tate doesn't need to have or want that, but I did, I, I, I saw like previous beliefs in mine coming out of his mouth in more aggressive ways, uh, so I thought it was an interesting conversation. Yeah, funny enough, <laughs> it's possible that the guy 
who claims he has no internet persona does have an internet persona, <laughs> which is just him dialed up. Mm-hmm. Like it's possible that we would hang out with him and have this conversation. He'd be like, yeah, totally agree. Seems, seems fine to me. I don't think it's for me, but mm-hmm. do your, like he might be very unaggressive in the sense of like, yeah, do you go get your thing and I'll do my thing. And it's all good. Like he, he might be totally reasonable. <laughs> I suspected we could shoot the shit and get along. Yeah. As I watched, he sorry, when I said aggressive, I don't know anything about the guy, but I'm yeah. just saying it's, it could be that he's, we all subconsciously as creators are at least aware of what's working for us. Mm-hmm. And he might've just seen some stuff work for him and go, oh, it's mm-hmm. easy enough. I can play an 11 out of 10 character, caricature of myself. Actually, I've never seen him, but I did see one random video. People were talking about him and it was just a mashup of him bra- like saying stuff and then breaking like Bill Hader in a mm-hmm. SNL skit where he's yeah, trying yeah. not to laugh at what he's saying. I just, uh, yeah, I just remember that while we were talking. So it's possible he's, it's his shtick and he's just having fun and actually watches his own videos and laughs mm-hmm. at himself for, for being an 11 out of 10 mm-hmm. for, for who, how he actually totally, is. but and I don't he, know. I don't know the guy at all. Maybe I'm dead wrong. He was cool. Calm and collected in this conversation would have, uh, unlike some we've, we've had conversations where I feel like you talk, they respond to something else <laughs> you mm-hmm. talk. They were, and it was, it was a genuine dialogue with him and he was listening. I was like, Oh, that's refreshing. Um, you don't always get that with yeah. these big, personality types in this space so that's i also don't know how he grew up i mean it's possible he grew up in a poor neighborhood where violence was all he around did. he was a drug dealer yeah and so he's like oh i have to protect yeah. my role the man is protect it's like you know what this might actually be totally accurate for you and your experience and you're dead right and if you didn't do this you'd be a failure in your neighborhood like, do you yes so, yes now my only question for him I, I i believe that he has the personality that he has for good reason and the mm-hmm. beliefs that he has for good reason my only question would be is if he missed an opportunity to update based on his current uh environment sure i'm just saying in terms of ideal ideal personality for mm-hmm. survival or ideal amount of enlightenment for survival or what you should look for in a partner those are going to vary income level to income level country to country depending yeah, on your yeah. safety and your crime and all that so yeah definitely how to live in the suburbs of California is not going to match how to live in the favelas of Rio de Janeiro. And if society falls apart and I somehow survive the first couple of weeks, I will not want the partner that is just like, you know, emotionally in tune in the same way. I'm going to probably have a much more traditional relationship, you know, where I have to like learn how to shoot and kill and <laughs> defend. And the other person like takes care of the inside of the home. I, it, it's, or you're gonna wish you'd gotten with GI Jane. Yeah, you go listen, baby. I'll stay home. I'll stay home. I can garden. I've, I've learned how to do this. I can garden. I'm useful in that. Here's world. a gun. You or take useless. care of this. I'm totally useless in that world. Protect uh, me, babe. If there's no internet, I can't help. <laughs> What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat. Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket. Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. 
Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have a couple of business things or uh, uh, things I've just been thinking about for entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Similar to how we talked about Andrew Tate came up with a new way to get big, which was this MLM style YouTube mm-hmm. viewership. Schultz did it by going against the grain, being more controversial when people were shifting to be less controversial. So there's these basketball videos. I don't know if you've seen these. It'll be something like air balls, but they get increasingly more awful. Mm-hmm. There are so many basketball channels on YouTube. You would look at it and you go, there's no blue ocean here. No yeah, yeah. consultant would say to do this. But they were all doing similar formats. It's, it's just, it's interesting. Someone came up with the idea of just doing air balls, but they get increasingly more awful. Dunks, but they get increasingly more disrespectful. Shots, but they get increasingly more clutch. Millions of views on every video. And it's fascinating to me to think of people, like we've had people come in with questions. How do I be a trainer? How do I be a yogi? I really like fitness. These crowded niches. Mm-hmm. And it's all, it's like, ah, it's tough, man. What are you going to do to differentiate yourself? So it's kind of cool to see that this channel, all they did to differentiate themselves was figure out a new way to put content together yeah. that people find really interesting. Because you could already find dunk compilations, but it was just LeBron's best dunks. And all they did was just say, hey, this is going to become increasingly more awful, awesome, whatever. And now they're blowing up. I thought that, I thought that was a cool lesson for people who might feel discouraged that their passion is something other people are also trying to do. Mm-hmm. The, the genesis of that, I, I'm sure it goes back further, but years there's for, for years, there's been a, uh, all of Lord of the Rings, but every time Frodo puts on the ring, it goes faster or something like that. Up, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it like yeah. winds, they like, they like doubles time, double time until the end is just, and those, some of these, you know, they were the B movie, but every time someone says B, it goes faster and it takes like three minutes yeah, <laughs> to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to get through the movie. And it's got millions of views. Yeah, some guy for blew just up. this meme video. Some guy blew up and he's, it's just listening to Eminem until I feel inspired. And it's nine seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and he gets millions of views. Yes. So there's, uh, yeah, that what's interesting, and this is what I try to teach people when I do YouTube, is people always look inside their niche in order to get to figure out what's working. And that's good. That'll tell you what is working. It'll mm-hmm. put you down the right track, but it will not break you through. Yep. A really good way is to look on in other niches in YouTube, find the structure. So it's X, but every time Y. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So this, but every time they miss, they gets worse or something like that. Um, I watched League of Legends. Yeah, like every time I one shot, you know, uh, playing until, uh, this is the other one, playing until I blank. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, until I miss a one shot. So it's just four minutes of one shots. But when it's written that way, for whatever reason, now in the current meta, it does well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you could take that charisma, but every time Craig Ferguson. Now the problem with that is that you're not building authority as a channel. It's, they tend to just be cuts and compilations and you collect yeah, yeah, but you could you make, make your I ad mean, rev. Yeah, you could make 50 grand a month on AdSense that mm-hmm. way. Yes. You could just be someone who cuts up videos and makes 600 grand a year. Yes, but you're constantly going to have to be on the cutting edge of the meta because mm-hmm. this is going to get old and then it's going to have to be something else. 
Um, not that it's right or wrong or bad. It's a totally fine way to no, break in. And I think how most people who write into us, at least, they want to be the instructor, the guru, the face. So, mm-hmm. so, you, so you would have to innovate on this in a way where you do, how do I do this, but also build credibility and authority for myself. Mm-hmm. So, so what, we, what we've done with Chris and One Command, it's not just show people being charismatic. It's having the commentary that yeah. leads people to understand that we have things we can teach them mm-hmm. as individuals that goes beyond if they were just to watch celebrity yeah. mashups. These basketball clips don't do that. So you would need, but I just thought it was, it's just cool to see someone succeed in a crowded space because it's so often people give themselves that excuse for why they don't try. It's like, oh, I, I can't teach people fitness. There's already people doing that. But then knees over toes guy comes in and mm-hmm. is absolutely smashing it on Joe Rogan because he figures out a new way to quote unquote teach fitness. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's these, well, knees over toes, I feel like it's a slightly different category, but I understand what you're saying. He was, yeah, speaking to a need that wasn't being voiced, which is kind of like my knees and back hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everybody's like well, looking up low back pain or whatever. But he also, his biggest thing is I'll teach you how to run faster and dunk, I think. Oh, I it actually, is. It's yeah. dunk. Yes. Oh, he goes, he goes, I had no vertical. He was a college basketball player, no vertical, mm-hmm. terribly unathletic, and then had two knee surgeries. Mm. And post knee surgery, he can now dunk. His vertical has grown post knee surgery, which is just insane. But I don't think, I think his audience is partially people who have knee pain and partially totally healthy people who just see potentially the magic bullet that they have always been hunting for to be more athletic. Yeah. So I've, I've started to get hip to this. Uh, fitness is unfortunately, there's these tried and true things that work. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's like drink a decent amount of water, eat greens, get your macros. They're very boring, unsexy yeah, things. Yeah. But also often unknown. Like I was talking to a guy at the gym who's trying really hard to bulk up, uh-huh. but didn't know what German volume training was mm-hmm. and hadn't Googled Arnold Schwarzenegger workout routine. Mm-hmm. Just like you don't need to be on the cutting edge. You just have to find the stuff that has worked for millions of people over the last decades. Mm-hmm. Well, at some point, I think it's because GVT doesn't have the same like marketing uh incentive behind it there's 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 no money behind do a bunch of reps to invent the new uh primal fitness or you know Mm -hmm. this is the way our ancestors ran and you you could you connect a narrative to it you people love imply a silver bullet well that's what you know so you got primal you got paleo you got this you got that and it's all interesting and good but it is also it's you know keto which like surged and is now just Mm -hmm. not as interesting to people well and it's fascinating not that there's anything wrong with doing keto the right way you used to eat Quest bars all the time because mm-hmm. no sugar. They just have a bunch of fake sugar. All the macros look right. It was pitched as a fitness thing. And then you hired a trainer and he said, stop eating Quest bars. Mm-hmm. And you immediately got shredded because even though you're eating these things that had no sugar and no fat in them, they were doing something that yeah. made your body worse. Correct. And that's what a lot of, a lot of people who are doing keto aren't going, oh, I'm going to do keto, which means I'm going to eat whole organic fruits, vegetables, and lean meats. Mm-hmm. They go, oh, I'm going to do keto. And then they eat. A bunch of stevia and... (laughs) No fruits in in keto, right? You can't have that sugar. Sure, sure. Vegetables only meats, yeah. But but they're doing it with sugar alcohols that, you know, who knows Mm -hmm. if those are good for you or not. But, well, the broad thing that I see is there's constantly... There's so many people out there whose job is to convince you that this new fitness regimen, scheme, system, product, etc. The Bowflex, the Ab Cruncher, the Mm -hmm. fucking P90X is going to be the difference. 
And it's the same shit that has always worked. There's very few, like, new things that wind up working. We'll see where cold plungers and saunas wind up in five to ten years. I'm curious. I enjoy the sauna, but Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be shocked if all of the, it's, you know, the greatest thing ever turns out not to be as true as it's been promised. Potentially. Uh, I would also say cold plunge is more trying to mirror something that people were doing historically, right? What am I actually experiencing? Like, uh don't let the pop science narrative outweigh your own experience. So mm-hmm. if you cold plunge and you feel good and you saw it and you feel good, I think that's good. I do both. I like yeah, yeah. both. But if I did ice baths and woke up more in pain and started to find myself more injury prone and stuff like that, it would be a mistake to ignore my own body just because of what a blog said. If you ate the food pyramid and we're like, I feel bloated and I'm not, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. And you're like, you know what? Maybe not... 11 servings of grains a day yeah. would be good for me. Is 12 slices of bread <laughs> too many in one day? Or maybe it's not enough. I've realized lately that pretzels are good. <laughs> <laughs> they, oh my God, it's so easy to get a little belly fat as you get to be my age and just eat pretzels. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, what were you, you had something else that you were going to. Oh, well, you just got a text from our D&D editor. Another yeah. thing about business. I had just forgot. Our, we started our business so long ago and we started it like. 10 years. So I, we were starting D&D. I realized, I've, I reminded myself of why most entrepreneurs fail. It's, there's, starting a business is such an exercise in having no idea how much work is involved mm-hmm. in that business. And I think part of the reason the four-hour work week was so good and successful and inspirational is because it didn't fully highlight yeah. how much shitty work. And it was like, oh, all you have to do is go to GoDaddy and then all you do is make a Shopify cart and then all you do is sit on the beach and rake yeah. in money. And yeah. it's so, and I'm glad that he lied to me in that regard. I actually genuinely am because I it's why I pursued entrepreneurship. But I had forgotten all the road bumps we hit 10 years ago, nine years ago, whatever. And with D&D, there's been so much work I wasn't anticipating and you've been doing the bulk of it, but I've just seen it from the outside. And it's, I go, oh yeah, this is why entrepreneurship, by what most people fail. Because once you actually start, you run into a bunch of things that you weren't expecting. Like, you yeah. know, oh, I'm going to have to go get clients. That's going to be hard. But you didn't anticipate the 15 hurdles that come before that. Yeah. So a hundred percent. This is, this was uh, same feeling that you have about four hour work week, which is like, I appreciate you lying to me. No, thank God. <laughs> please. please. I would because just, if I would you be... told me, I, you, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. I wouldn't. It, not fun. I might've started on a different business later, but that's why I've had to do D not had to, I've been happy to do D and D for me personally. And when I talk to people, I was like, I've seen broadly two camps of people that succeed in entrepreneurship. There's the guys that will do what it takes to make money and they're, they will find the best market. And when they see that there's a fat dollar sign there and the product market fit, they will move forward and succeed and do work. That's not fun that they don't like in a niche they don't care about and, and do great. And God bless them. I, you either are that guy or you're not, and I'm not that guy. I do not have what it takes to work at a thing that I don't really like. So I have to pick these things that might not be the best market, might not have the best monetization route, and then just work really hard because I yeah, like yeah. it. So like I've enjoyed said, the might D&D not, stuff. Might not be the best market. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely aren't. Yes. <laughs> Charisma wasn't. D&D's not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm happy to do it. Yeah. I enjoy receiving back my drawings of characters sure. and, and, yeah, and, at them. and for our makeup, you know, potentially smaller, smaller pie chart in terms of industry, but we can make a, we can take up a bigger slice of it. Mm-hmm. If we tried to compete with hymns, I think we just wouldn't do well because mm-hmm. we wouldn't have any 
drive. Yeah. Well, we're also not blue oceaning this one. No. There's there's well established D and D. Oh, I know. No, no, I'm not saying we're blue oceaning it. Just just that the pie is smaller, but maybe we can be more successful than if we just picked the big money thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was just I was thinking about people who write in starting businesses, the struggles. Like, oh yeah, there's there is a level of perseverance required to be successful as an entrepreneur. And a lot of people just hit that first road bump and get discouraged and quit and then just end up working a job they don't like because at least it's certain. It doesn't have that uncertainty. Yeah, unfortunately, like now I see, I have a lot of friends that have been in this space and they're all capable of, they've all developed a skill of how do I set my own schedule? What are my goals for today? How do I know if I've done enough or not? Like they've, they've developed these meta skills that enable you to succeed in entrepreneurship and none of them are taught in school, which is mm-hmm. the bummer. So you you enter into it conditioned to get a rubric that is graded and they tell you exactly what's on it and you do it, the page limit the spaces the whatever and it's the opposite yeah. of of the meta skills that you need to succeed in entrepreneurship which is what it's not like it's hard for people it's hard for people who graduated the american school system <laughs> to do uh, but that doesn't have to be the case you could easily train kids to have these skills and not freak out struggle and quit for sure but that's just not how it goes. Yeah, that was one of I think that's one of the biggest things people have to learn. And it's definitely was something I had to learn and overcome was how do I know that I have had a good productive day mm-hmm. when I'm an entrepreneur? Because I know how to do it in school, you do your homework. I even know how to do it at work. You generally get given a deadline for, oh, you have to do this in a week, and you go, oh, Okay, why well, five days did I do about twenty percent of it today? And then as an entrepreneur, you go, you have about a billion things you could do to grow this business, no idea what will work. And you could, in theory, work 18 hours today and then just go to bed. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to do that. How do I know when I can check the box on today was a good day mm-hmm. work-wise? And I think that that's something that stresses a lot of people out is no one is going to tell you that. You have to decide that for yourself. And yeah. some people can't do it. Some people burn themselves out trying to do it. And some people set the bar too low and you know do stupid stuff like trying to figure out the their... Brand, cards brand and logo logos. And business logos. Cards. Yeah. 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 All right. Totally unrelated. I don't know if you heard about this. There was a shooting in Uvalde. So the Dallas school district announced Monday that it will require middle school and high school students to carry clear or mesh backpacks to class, joining other Texas districts in implementing new security measures following the Uvalde school massacre. So that's the, they're doing other things, but that's one of the, ways in which Texas is trying to minimize the amount of gun deaths in school. That's so... Your backpacks. Okay. So you can concealed carry, but you have to wear a clear backpack in school. So this is... That's how we make it a safe zone. I don't know. There seems to be... I thought this was strange. I mean... The shooting occurred in an elementary school, first of all. This is a 17-year-old who didn't go there. Yeah. Yeah. So this... So the shooting that you're trying to make... Sorry, not that you're trying to make the catalyst for this rule that only occurs in middle schools and high schools mm-hmm. was caused by someone with a gun that wouldn't fit in a backpack going into a school that was an elementary school that they didn't attend, that they wouldn't have to follow the dress code for, and then doing a horrific shooting. So so it's this clearly isn't going to prevent a copycat of Uvalde. It's for a different set of circumstances where a gun that fits in a backpack someone that walks into their own school. Like it's, I appreciate that they're trying to limit school shootings, but this, that's an oddity to me. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing I thought was 
what about the guy that plays saxophone in the band? Mm-hmm. Like what, there's mm-hmm. other people walking into school every day without clear cases that are yeah. larger. Every athlete, your lacrosse equipment, yeah, yeah. You, you just have a non-clear bag that's big enough for a lacrosse stick. So yeah, I appreciate the attempt. I, this isn't a good way to do it. And I don't know if it's because people are genuinely trying, but just aren't really thinking about it. Or if there's some cynical thing where it's like a show of, oh, we're doing stuff, but, but knowing that this isn't going to work, but it's just about like appeasing the public. Yeah. I, I haven't thought deeply about it because I just heard it from you, but the sense that I have in listening is I wish you'd done nothing at all because this is the uselessness of this mandate makes me think that you're corrupt in your in the way that you're approaching yeah, like you're like confused you're, right well, like, you're tr- like you're trying to check the box for we tried yeah without like i'd rather you just not try i'd rather you i truly prefer you just say this is a fact of life this is what happens in a, in a nation where you've got this many guns and this many mentally ill people or if you're not being cynical i think there's a sense of if you think you've tried and you check the box, you'll move on. So it's like, please don't move on in this Until way. Until you try. Please don't check, the, don't, <laughs> don't check the box this way. Like keep the backpacks mm-hmm. opaque and let's find a different way to check the box. Sure. That maybe we'll, let's study every school shooting that's happened in the last 10 years and figure out the solution that would actually help the most. Not saying they should do this, but if they told me, hey, we're going to get, um, you know, X ranger guards in every school, I'd go, wow, that's extreme and that's maybe a lot of money, but I wouldn't go, that's likely to be ineffective. No, one school that I thought was interesting because I was just looking into it briefly, they, one policy, pretty simple, lock, they lock every classroom door once the bell rings, but two, mm-hmm. every classroom has like a bulletproof bunkery thing. It's not a bunker, but it's just a giant metal box with windows basically. So alarm goes off, there's a shooting announced, everybody just piles into there. And then unless the guy has bullets that can pierce through the metal basically, mm-hmm and it's obviously a special type bulletproof metal, you can just hang out in there for eight hours. Yeah. So even if the cops take three hours to figure it out, you're safe. And it's like, you know what? That that seems like it would have worked for Uvalde. Like, I don't know every yeah. gun case, but at least if you tell me you're doing that, I go, maybe this is expensive, unnecessary. Maybe there's smarter ways to do it, cheaper ways to do it. But this seems like it would work. This seems thoughtful at least. Yeah, I, I do. I, I haven't thought deeply about this this issue. I don't. I need to see the numbers and the likelihood that this happens and all of that stuff. But it is, the, it makes the Democrat left-leaning point that, like, you guys are willing to do everything. All this crazy shit that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. All these crazy, harebrained ideas. Fucking anything other than limiting uh, access to these guns at a higher degree. You know, making them harder to get or... Now, it's... here. I, what could I imagine that would work? And I'm... These are based on things that I've heard through the grapevine and uh, am coming up with on the spot, so I'm not the best source for this. But uh, serious penalties to any person whose gun gets taken by anyone else. Don't know if that already exists, or, or but like uh, the type of draconian penalty that would make every single person get a lockbox like with their crypto. Well, I also, <laughs> I, I could be wrong. One of the shootings recently, it, it was a, a parent or grandparent signed off on somebody because they were either 17 or they had been flagged for mental health issues mm-hmm. in the past, so they needed someone to sign off on it. And if if you sign off on somebody and then they commit an atrocity with the gun, I think you should be held responsible for that. And I think that would have stopped that particular shooting because mm-hmm. I think you don't, if you know that somebody has mental health issues and you know that they have 
threatened violence to themselves or other people. And then they go, hey, will you sign off on this? Like people, people won't even guarantee leases for their kids <laughs> because yeah. they don't want the financial responsibility of having to pay a year's worth of rent. If there was a real penalty for that, I think people would, they would have to truly trust their kids and understand at a deep level that they were going to be responsible gun owners mm -hmm. because they wouldn't put their own, they wouldn't risk their own prison time. Yeah. I'm thinking the people that do this obviously are not uh, raising great kids, which means they're probably not great parents, which means they're probably not making great decisions. But it seems like other countries, there's a couple places you can stop school shootings. One, you can have a super happy country where nobody kills anybody. Nobody's figured that out yet. Two, you can limit access to weapons that can easily destroy people. That seems to be what most other countries have done. I, Cat might be out of the bag in that one. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, totally. I, I actually used to think when I was younger, I was like, oh, that's what we should do. We should do the Australia. I think it is logistically impossible. Mm -hmm. I actually think you couldn't do it. There's too many guns out there. There's too many illegal gun owners who wouldn't give their guns back. Like mm -hmm. It seems... Or also culturally. A, there would need to be a cultural shift. Yeah. Is That's what I was just going to say. There would need to be a big cultural shift mm -hmm. before the U.S. could possibly do that. And that one is wildly effective when you look at the difference between the U.S. and the countries that have gun mm -hmm. violence and the countries that don't. Is, uh, you, you can't can't do school stabbings in the same way that you can do school shootings. It's mm -hmm. just not practical. Um, so you can limit it. It seems like at the moment where someone has decided to take a automatic weapon into a undefended and you don't or you know you could arm the students or teachers which i think is an absurd uh idea yeah it's and, very difficult to stop that as i guess what like when you have weapons and bullets and the doors are locked i don't know how locks work but i'm pretty sure like would well the lock buys you time to get in the bunker didn't you hear about the, bu the bunkers yeah. the safety the bulletproof bunker we'll see how it goes man maybe we'll start hearing about these school shootings where a guy walks in loaded to the gills with ammo and guns and gets nobody because they're in their bunkers uh i would be surprised if that's the case seems likely to cost a lot of money and save very few if any lives um so but if i were but if i were a parent i would want that Mm -hmm. like hey you pay local taxes do you want that to go to bunkers for your kids probably what else is it going to go to i have to have to deal with a couple more potholes because the mm -hmm. roads don't get paved that's such a dystopian nightmare yeah it's uh not good solutions i understand why parents would want to pay exorbitant amounts mm -hmm. for their kids safety if i were in a random suburb that hadn't had a shooting yet and they were like do you want to do the bunker thing and we're going to take the taxes out of something you care less about I'd be like, yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. And if they didn't, I'd probably be one of those parents who had a bulletproof uh, coat or backpack for their kid, even though who knows how effective those are. Mm -hmm. Like, I see why this would be terrifying as a parent. Because even though you can you can look at it and go, well, heart disease kills more people. It's like, yeah, when you have a kid, I think this is the, the terror goes beyond the rationality, the odds. You just don't want to play the odds. You're like, no, it's only it's a very small chance it's your kid. It's like, yeah, that's not comforting to me as a parent. Mm -hmm. Got it, yeah. So yeah, clear backpacks, the solution that will save us all. The last thing is I, I bought Sam Harris's waking up app okay. and there's just, there's meditations and things like that. But one of them had a theme that I liked that I wanted to share. Uh, the other day I shared that, um, Tim Ferriss, that Tim Ferriss thing. And I had a couple people that I know listen to the podcast, text me and say it was really helpful. So I thought I would share another one that I found helpful, which is consider how much energy you put towards the project of seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. 
And I thought that's an interesting way to phrase that because he's phrasing it like it is optional, like it's a choice to try to minimize the amount of pain you experience and try to seek wealth, relationships, whatever it is, luxury goods to try to be happy. Because the mental model we normally get taught in psychology is that that's hardwired into us. That's pain and pleasure, carrot stick. That's how you get people to do things because they are wired to run from pain and seek pleasure. And Sam Harris's point, in his opinion, at least through the practice of meditation, you can make that more optional and instead become okay not getting as much pleasure and okay experiencing some pain. And he says, ultimately, because you will fail at what you pursue and you will have pain forced upon you, this is a a better strategy for you. And I thought that was interesting because it does put like Tony Robbins' thing of pain, pleasure and motivating people. It's it, There's a lot of psychological models based on this not being optional. So I just thought it was interesting for Sam to highlight, yeah, you can just try to get more comfortable with things not working out mm. and, and bounce back and be one of those people who says, you know, everything happens for a reason and really mean it. And that that's, in his mind, easier than going to great lengths to pursue all your pleasures and minimize all your pains. Yes, I think in to the people to whom he's speaking with smartphones and uh, like they've already got like the 99% of the things that are going to make a human that a human needs from the outside world in order to like relax that I need more thing. I'd actually push back on that a little bit because one of the big things that was formative for me in my early twenties was going to poor countries Mm -hmm. and seeing children in what I would consider very bad situations playing sports barefoot on concrete, you know, like just, you'd you'd look at them and be like, oh, this is a really bad situation. I should feel bad for this kid. And the kids were happy. Mm -hmm. It seemed very happy. And that led me down a little rabbit hole of how a lot of the people I was working with in Wall Street were more miserable than the people, not just who were middle-class in the U.S., but who were impoverished in other countries, but just had a different set of expectations for what life would hold. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't feel like life had dealt them a bad hand it had just dealt them the hand that you get Mm -hmm. so i don't think it's just iphone people i actually think there's a lot of people who have mastered this in other countries well sorry that's why i think it's useful to the iphone people it's like you already have the little soccer ball in the net you know what i mean like Mm. if that like you have it it's it's but i'm saying this mindset is also helpful to the kid that grew up in a slum where life is very scary and violent and and food is not abundant that they that they also benefit but they almost have this they're better at this mindset organically almost mm-hmm. at least from what i've seen just traveling around to to other countries yeah i guess there, there's fundamental question is like you kind of this is this is to break it down a bit too analytically which is not i don't think his intent but i can put units of effort towards changing my perception or i can put units of effort towards changing my circumstances mm-hmm. um at some level, if you can like, if you've got no food, like those units of effort might might be best spent for additional like um, ex- positive experience be put towards that. I think he would agree. Yes, it's not about units of effort; it's about which is more valuable. And I think mm-hmm. he's saying the mindset is always more valuable. Mm-hmm. Like you can still put go put the effort not into strengthening the mindset, but getting food if you don't have food. But if you have the mindset, it's going to help you tremendously. Sure. Yeah, yeah, across. Yeah, and so it's not about it's not about saying, oh, I'm not going to put time into getting food. I'm going to put time into cultivating this. But he's just saying, if 
if you have this mindset, you're almost always better off than if you're trying to change your circumstances. Mm -hmm. That's his hypothesis. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, I, I encounter that in myself often. There's an implicit desire with any business, anything, any whatever to grow, mm -hmm. to like have more. And I've, I feel, you know, I talk to, I don't blame them, but like friends will ask, you know, what are you going to do? What's your growth plan? As particularly as regards to the business. And I, on the one hand, do, it is fun to grow things. But on the other, I have to remind myself, like, if I need this to grow in order to be happy, I'm deeply fucked up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because, like, if this, if what I have isn't enough, there is never an enough point. Um, and then, yeah, you want to be happy in the now and capable of enjoying the process of growth and the, the limitations on that and the setbacks and all that that kind of stuff is, I think, ideal. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've recently been trying to do what he said without having listened to that particular meditation, which is just way too much effort going into getting more stuff, more things in order to make me happy and not as not enough going into, I've got everything. Yeah. <laughs> I've got it. Yeah, and for me, I actually don't spend a lot of time thinking about more, but I do spend tremendous amounts of mental energy thinking about Preserving. what if something <laughs> bad happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like what if... Yeah, I mean, any number of things, something with the business, something with my health, something with my relationship. Like that's, there's a, it's a, I'm not out in the world trying to get more, but internally there's a lot of mental energy going into make sure there's no pain emotionally yeah. from loss or mm -hmm. suffering. And I think that that's, that I would just be better, happier, more fulfilled to, to release that and instead go something bad will happen. Mm -hmm. You can't pre prevent every single bad thing from happening. And spending too much time preventing any single bad thing from happening is actually making you worse off emotionally than just being present. Yeah, yeah. Enjoying that nothing has gone bad yet. And when it and getting blindsided <laughs> by the bad thing and going, okay, now I have to react. And I've done a really good job of trying to fortify and protect, but at the cost of a lot of attention. Mm. A lot of a lot of mental exercise goes into what could go wrong, this and that. And so yeah, to me, that's where it hit me. It was it's like it's not so much about not trying to grow, but it's about releasing that protective mental exercise and all the energy that goes into it daily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you use the word blindsided because I think that's one of the things that our minds can do is convince us that if I don't prepare, I will be blindsided. It's like, well, there's of course, like, I'm not going to be blindsided if my business doesn't work. or Like, I've thought about those things. It's not going to be... Um, like a car T-boning me. Oh, no, but it's I'm going to be... My, mine's way past that, dude. I, I just froze sperm just in yeah, case yeah, yeah. something goes wrong. Again, I guess you get in a horrible testicle-related well, accident. what I'm saying. None of the things that you've mentioned will blindside you. They You might not feel as emotionally prepared as you'd like to be, but they will I've not be... I've thought of them, you're saying. Your way, you could not be blindsided by the things that yeah, you've yeah. said, given how much attention you've already put there. And to go, okay, that was a healthy amount of attention to put towards... Uh, pain mitigation in the future i'm gonna stop now yeah well that's kind of where yeah. i'm going so I, the, the for me different people in different stages of the life require different areas for growth mm -hmm. and i think at a, for a period of time my area of growth was hey you need skills you went to business school and didn't learn anything useful you are starting a business and you have no idea what to do go learn and and focus on growing in that you know what i mean like really tactical skill wise way mm -hmm. and other times it was hey you were 
you're emaciated and your roommates are making fun of you because they can see your ribs. You have to learn emaciated. That's called Skeletor. Oh god. That's called Skeletor. Some of the words you've used today. Blindsided. Emaciated. Yeah, you were uh hundred and eighty pounds. You can see all my ribs, dude. <laughs> okay. But uh what I'm realizing is like that makes sense for a period of time in your life to yeah. focus on changing the external, conquering the world, building an empire, getting physically fit. And yeah, the new frontier, which is totally foreign, is this is being present, mm -hmm. and not trying to improve the future or protect against downside in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's, I agree. Yeah, so it was a good quote. And I actually think a lot of people would benefit from that, even if they didn't go through that conquer the world stage, because I see a lot of people who are anxious or depressed, whose circumstances are circumstances that one that someone else in a different period of time or a different culture could find themselves happy in. Mm -hmm. And so at, at that point, I think it comes down to your internal world. Mm -hmm. Cool. Is that it for? That's it. Very good. What, Justin? Nice. I got one question for us. All right. So what drives one to become antisocial? What drives one? Yes. Is this personal? Subconsciously? <laughs> Is this a I personal think, attack? I think it's subconscious, right? That must be the question. I think most people don't consciously choose to be antisocial. So um, what drives someone to subconsciously be antisocial? I, I actually don't know. I could give you some speculation because I would not, I don't know. I'm not like this and the people that I know aren't really. Oh, I, really, like I feel this. like it's an obvious, I think like the obvious answer is pain around fear. socialization. Yeah. And yeah, yeah it's, it's fear. It's fear that if they are social, people will reject them mm -hmm. and that the, the pain of being rejected in their mind is higher than the pain of loneliness that, that so they'll they'll voluntarily give themselves the pain of loneliness over and over to avoid risking the pain of rejection yeah and i would contrast that with your uh run-of-the-mill introversion which is like i like to be alone you know you, you said antisocial which is someone who is anti that aspect of life that makes yeah sense. i mean i think introverts can have tons of friends i mm -hmm. don't think that introversion is a curse or mm -hmm. social uh, death sentence or anything like that. Like, I think people confuse introversion with other things. But yeah, that was a big thing for me, at least socially, was just recognizing that when I mentally reduced the pain of rejection down substantially from this is going to be a black mark on me because I'm in a school that's small, that has reputations and all this stuff to I'm in college, now I'm in New York, now there isn't a, there's, there's like no, <laughs> downside to someone mm -hmm. rejecting your friendship or rejecting you romantically that that was one of the most helpful mindset set shifts for me mm -hmm. in terms of getting comfortable going out and being social taking social risks being playful goofy funny letting people judge me mm -hmm. that was like a core breakthrough that i think a lot of people would benefit from just recognizing rejection really doesn't have to cause any pain and if it does you get you can get over it pretty quick yeah, it's self-inflicted. There's not often a actual tribal, you know, kicked out of the kicked out of the society penalty the way that people feel internally, like it would be a social death sentence. Mm -hmm. Cool. So yeah, I think fear causes people to be antisocial. Nice. Let's go to Patreon. Let's do it. What do we got? We're gonna talk about hairstyle tips. A lot of requests for Hank Moody, so we're gonna respond to somebody about okay. that, and then um, we're gonna talk about deconstructing a skill like Tim Ferriss. 
Great. I've thought, I've thought in depth about Hank Moody, so I have a good answer for you. <laughs> so if you guys want to see the rest of these questions and more, please hop over to Patreon. It's what keeps us going. It is the primary form of income for this podcast and enables us to continue. Um, so yeah, if you like what we're doing here and want more or want any of it, please join our Patreon. Any dollar amount gets you access to everything that we've done over there. So see the rest of you there. Thanks, guys. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.